1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tonight. We left off this morning, Sunday school, in verse number 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're making a run for the end of the book here. I'm not sure we're going to get through it, but we'll try. But rest assured, if we don't, we'll hit it next time we're together. Amen. Now we uh, discussed here about the day of the Lord, the tribulation, and the rapture. Paul's telling you all throughout the first part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that he doesn't need to tell you about the seasons or the time. He says in verse 2 that you know perfectly, and uh, he goes into great detail. And of course, the whole body of scriptural truth tells you that the Lord, uh, for the rapture of the church, is most likely going to come in the springtime. We looked at it on Wednesday night, and that thing's likened into the fourth watch of the night. And uh, so as we come through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you'll notice that the church age is likened unto nighttime. Nighttime. And if you back up to verse number 6, uh, Paul gets into it here. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you, Lord, for letting us come here. Father, thank you, Lord, for this building that we can come together and meet. Father, it's paid for. Father, you've been so good to us. So, Father, we just want to say thank you, Lord, for the heat. Thank you, Lord, for the comfort. Lord, thank you even in the, the, the warmth of summer. Lord, you give us air conditioning. Father, you've given us padded pews. And, Lord, so many things I know I take for granted. So I just want to say thank you, Lord. I pray now you bless your word. And any preacher that's preaching across this country, that's preaching the King James Bible, would you bless them? Father, I pray you lift your word up and get me out of the way. Bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now he says in verse 6, Paul says, Let us not sleep. I'm sorry, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So the church age is likened unto nighttime. And we hit that thing pretty good this morning here. And so he's, like, he's talking about spiritual sleep. And we, we said this, the reason uh, Christians are so spiritually sleepy and that's the right way to say it, is because it's nighttime. And it's right before Jesus Christ is going to come get us. And you know that by taking a look around you. And I'm thank, I applaud you all for coming tonight. It's, it's, it's a real privilege to be able to preach to people that want to come, not because I'm beating people up or putting pressure on people to come, but it's a real blessing that you come on your own free will. Amen. But one of the reasons that people find it very difficult to come to church and, and find it difficult to enjoy preaching and find it difficult to enjoy teaching is because we're in the nighttime. And if you recall, when it's nighttime, like my mama told me, you need to be sleeping. But Paul says, therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Spiritually speaking, we're in the night. But if you're saved, you've got the light of Jesus Christ inside of you, so it's night. But you're the light. And why it's so tempting to lay out and to not come. And I'm not, uh, if you can't come for physical reasons, I get it. And whatever reason, just make one up. I'll buy it. I'll believe it. You ain't, got to, you ain't got to twist my arms. I'm not that kind of guy. But the reason people don't enjoy the preaching and teaching as they would normally is because spiritually we're in the night. And Christians are getting sleepy. Amen. I just want you to realize where you're at. And uh, so the only light you have is uh, in the nighttime generally is artificial light, the night light. So you know what you need as a Christian? You need the Holy Spirit and the King James Bible. 
That's the only light you got. That's it. That's all you got. And uh, a lot of Christians are sleepy. A lot of Christians are spiritually asleep. A lot of Christians are spiritually drunken. See what I mean? And Paul says here, and he says in uh, verse 7, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. And uh, and look over at verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober. As a Christian, you're of the day. All right, so not only don't get drunk, right? You got no business as a Christian being drunk. Paul said, he told you, Ephesians chapter 5, 18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is success, but be filled with the Spirit. So if you're going to get drunk off something, get drunk off the Spirit. Amen? I know some of you are like, that's weird. I know that's weird. I'm watching Showtime too much. All these, all these sitcoms, they start and end with a beer or a glass of whiskey, don't they? They just got everyone else just, just drunk right to sleep, you know? America's favorite television show, the families around the table drinking wine, and, and when, the, you know, when they turn 21, it's a beer. And you know, the older they get, the old timers, you know what they're doing? They're hammering the whiskey. Why? Conscience is shot. They got more to forget. Oh, man, America, land of the free, home of the braves. Home of the drunks. Verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Of course, we said this morning, that matches up with Ephesians chapter 6 and the whole armor of God, right? And that whole thing about your, the breastplate, you know what that does? It covers your heart. Your heart's important in these last days. And you've got to guard your heart. You've got to watch your heart. You've got to protect your heart. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. A Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth, had 700 wives. Wisest man in all. It almost like does, does, it shouldn't go together, does it? He says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence. You ever heard this saying? Uh, my, I, just, my, I just let my heart get away from me. <laughs> you got to watch it. You got to keep your heart with all diligence. Why? The Bible says out of it are the issues of life. You got to guard it. Why? It'll get cold on you. It'll get, your heart will get hard, won't it? Just like that. You'll be clipping along at a good pace, having a good week, and the joy of the Lord, and so forth and so on. Next thing you know, your heart's as hard as stone towards one thing or another. It'll get cold. It'll get hard. It'll get stagnant. You've got to put that breastplate of faith on and, and say, what is that? You've got to learn to walk by faith. You've got to learn to walk by faith, don't you? One of, the, one of the hardest things to do is to learn to walk by faith. Why? That's what God told you to do. If you're willing to admit it, most of you walk by sight. If it's in the bank, we're all good. High five. Down low, too slow. <laughs> It's not in the bank. Guess what? You're a wreck. <laughs> you got to learn to walk by faith. You got to put that breastplate on. And he says, uh, "The helmet, the hope of salvation." And what that hope is? That's the very hope of getting out of here. Amen. And that's some good hope. The very hope of being raptured out of here. And if you constantly think about that and you keep your mind plugged in, tuned into the fact that you could get out of here today if he gets on the horn and shouts your name and says, come up hither, you know what that'll do? That'll help you keep, it'll help you keep living pure until he comes. He said it'll keep you straightened out and flying right. Why people get all sidetracked is they forget he's coming. They forget he's coming. And it'll encourage you to know that one day uh, you, you'll wake up and you won't have to check everything that you think. One of the most disgusting things in the world is you got to check everything that you're thinking. 
look at me like you're a bunch of Sunday school kids. I mean, you got to check everything you think, don't you? You start thinking and you go there and you're like, oh, I can't go down that path. Oh, I got a bad, you know, one feller said, uh, it's not wrong for, uh, you know, a bird to, to fly over your head, but it's wrong for that bird to build a nest in your hair. <laughs> well, that too, right? Don't let them do the other thing either, right? <laughs> Look at Romans chapter 8. Yeah. Well, that was old Simon Stylitis. He's an old fraternal order of flagpole sitters, covered in bird poop there. But anyways, uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter, just to think, uh, some people think, uh, some of the things people do to think God's happy with them, it's crazy. Romans chapter 8, I'm telling you, you need that hope of salvation, and not as that I hope I'm saved, but the hope that you know He's coming back. That's the hope. Romans 8.22, look what Paul says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Ain't that a fact? 23, and not only they, but ourselves also. So not only is the entire animal kingdom groaning. <laughs> Why? Because there's a curse on the ground. There's a curse on the world. There's a curse on the food. There's a curse on everything. Until the man that broke the cur- breaks the curse steps on the ground, then the curse leaves the ground. Verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for what? The adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. That's the hope. That's the, that's the hope the hope of salvation, that one day your body, your physical body will be saved. Because it sure ain't saved now. <laughs> so that hope he's talking about here is the hope of the resurrection. When our body's finally resurrected out of here and finally we're uh, straightened out and flying right like we ought to be, what does two, Titus 2.13 say? Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the hope. And that's something that will help you keep stayed in the faith, help keep your mind straight. And, and I'll tell you what, sometimes you go through things as a Christian, and uh, this is one of those years, brethren. This is one of them years. Sometimes you start going through things, and you start thinking about checking out. You say, not you. <laughs> yeah, man. You wake up and you go, what's it worth? They won't miss me. That's what you think. That's what I think. Sometimes you get going through some things as a Christian, and man, they're hard to deal with, and you start thinking about checking out. But yet, if you can start thinking about going home instead of checking out, going home and the return of Jesus Christ, it'll help you get back on the right path. And it'll help you remember, think about it, it'll help you remember why you're on the path to begin with. Why? Because one day, that eastern side is going to split and we're out of here. Look at verse 9. Notice also in reference to the hope back in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verse 9 and 10. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. It's real simple. It means we're getting out of here. And we have to worry about the wrath of God falling upon us like it's going to fall upon this earth during the tribulation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So this salvation... It's not you being saved by grace through faith. It's a different salvation, but it's talking about the salvation of your body, just like we read over in Romans chapter 8. You obtaining salvation, you're saved by the rapture. That rapture saves you and getting out of here. He says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but obtained salvation through, by our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you know, we studied in 1 Thessalonians 4, He comes in the clouds to get you. And He's coming to get us and take us out of here. He's not coming 
when he comes again, he's not coming to set up a kingdom. You've got to remember this. The church is going. The church is going. And then the kingdom is coming later. But the church is going. He's not coming to set up a kingdom. Now look at verse 10. It says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that's alive or dead, we should live together with him. Now back to verse 9. If you remember earlier, I want to put this on the board for you. We looked at the different wraths in the Bible, all right? And you've got the wrath of the Lamb. And that's Revelation 6.16. You've, uh, you've got the wrath of Satan. And that's, of course, in Revelation 12, 12. But what we're talking about here is the wrath of God. And that thing's found in Revelation 14, 10. And 16, 1. I hope the more I can write these references uh, up there, the more they just start becoming second nature from you on some of this stuff. So uh, the wrath of God is what's being pour out, poured out during the tribulation period. So when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, we're not appointed to wrath, and that's talking about the wrath of God poured on this earth during the tribulation. And that's what you've got to keep in mind. So in the context of the passage, the wrath has to do with the tribulation. And one of the best verses that you could ever prove of pre-tribulation rapture is that God hath not appointed us to wrath. Period. And you've got, the, you've got the addresses, you've got the cell phone numbers, and you've got all the data you need. And that's the wrath of God that comes in 14.10 and 16.1. That's the wrath that comes to this earth during the tribulation period. And the church will not be here. Thank God for that. We ain't got to worry about going through that mess. We'll be out of here, but we'll be able to obtain salvation of this body by the rapture. And that's the... Stop and think about it. The whole context of this thing right here that we're dealing with, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, the whole context has to do with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. You've got to remember that. That's the direct context. And uh, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and all you have to do is listen for the shout, and when you hear that shout, you're going to hear your name, and he's going to say, come up hither, and you'll be snatched up here from wherever you are, and you won't have to worry about one bit. You'll be saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10 one more time. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, again, that's alive or dead, we should live together with Him. And that's together with Jesus Christ, not here on this earth. You'll be snatched up in the rapture. You'll go through the judgment seat of Christ where you'll get all your spots. You'll get, you'll get all your dry cleaning done up there. Amen. It'll make you without spot or wrinkle. And when you come through that thing, you'll be just, you'll be so clean, you'll squeak. Amen. And then right there from there, you'll go into the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb there. And uh, look at verse 11. He says it again. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Now you've got to ask yourself the question, what comfort would there be if you had to go through the tribulation? I'm telling you right now, and this might be worldly, this might not be pastoral material, but if you think, if we're supposed to go through the tribulation, why in the world are we even here? 
I'm not even going to finish that thought, but you see what I mean? It says, comfort yourselves together. What am I comforting myself over? The fact that I'm saved from the tribulation. Comfort one another with these words. That's uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He brings it forward in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Again, what comfort that I'm going to be out of here before this mess goes off down here during the tribulation period. And let me tell you what, that's a great comfort to have. There are so many people tonight that are saved that do not have that comfort. They don't have any of this material, not because it's not available, because they're not in front of any type of teaching or preaching that supports this. So they go through their Christian life, worry, fretting, and fussing, and what they end up doing is they just try to forget it. They just try to forget it. Why? Because they don't know anything about it. And they think they're going to go through part of it. They think they're going to go through some of it. Some of them think they're going to go through all of it. And then they get mixed up on YouTube and Flakebook and all these other pinheads on there. They ain't got enough biblical whatever. I'm going to get in trouble, so I digress here. Amen? But it says, comfort one another with these words. One of the greatest detriment to American society has been the influx of social media and the smartphone. You got all these different voices. So look how far advanced we are. I know we're a mess. We're no better off because we got all this technology. You can literally ask Siri or Alexa, whoever it is, or Google, any question, and then within reason they can come up with an answer, but we're no smarter. Our kids aren't getting any smarter in the school system. We're putting up people who work less. You've got probably 75 to 80% people in this county alone never had a blister on their left hand. (laughs) Some of you are like, what's that? All right, so again, the context of verse number 9. Context of verse number 9, right here. Context of 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 9 is the day of the Lord. All right, and that's in verse 2. And the tribulation, that's verses 3 and 4. And then the rapture in verse 8. You need to remember that. That's the context of what's going on right here. Remember, you've got to have the Scripture in the right context. Make the connection. Too many people, too many Christians try to change that thing around. They think the church is going to go through the tribulation. And listen, you may end up suffering some things for the cause of Jesus Christ. But just because you suffer for the cause of Christ doesn't mean that you're in the tribulation. You've got to remember that. And too many people, for whatever reason, they think for a little bit of trouble they have, and they might even... I'll have to suffer in the flesh or even physical torture or sometimes death in the third world country. That means that they're in the tribulation. No, that just means that they're suffering for the cause of Christ. you got to remember that. But it doesn't mean that you're in the tribulation period and, because that's what the Bible says. Now let me give you seven reasons. Seven reasons why you're not going to go through the tribulation. All right, This is not an all-inclusive list. But I'm going to give you seven reasons up on the board. Why you're not going through the tribulation. It should help you. I'm sure most of you know most of these. It'll be just a divine review. But seven reasons. All right, I just gave you the first one. Number one, you know you're not going through the tribulation because of the context of First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. And we said that it's the day of the Lord. In verse 2, right? 
And then we said it was the tribulation in verse 3 and 4. And we said it's the rapture in verse 8. And so here it comes. You're not appointed to wrath. You see it? Right there it is. All right, number two. Reason how you know you're not going through the tribulation period, the great tribulation period of Matthew chapter 24, is because tribulation salvation is completely different from church age salvation. Tribulation salvation is faith and works. And this thing that I'm putting on the board right here, this is the number one reason why every church within 100 miles minus three Bible-believing churches hate my guts and they call me a heretic. There you go. Because that's what the Bible says. Tribulation salvation is faith and works where your salvation is by grace through faith. And you find that thing laid out in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And you find it again in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Tribulation salvation is faith and works, where church age salvation is what? How are you saved? By grace through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of, not of works, works, faith and works. Get a chance, read it. Church age salvation is grace through faith. They're totally different. That's how you know one of the reasons you're not going through it. Let me give you number three. All right. You got to also remember on that whole thing, tribulation doctrine doesn't match up with church age doctrine. And uh, it even goes farther than that. There's a different gospel that's preached in the tribulation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And you got that thing being preached by 144,000 virgin male Jews. It's not the same. All right, that's the gospel of the kingdom. So they're not the same thing. All right, so uh, one of the reasons you know that you're not going through the tribulation is uh, here's the question you've got to ask. All right, where is the judgment seat of Christ if you're going through the tribulation? Where is the judgment seat of Christ? These people out here saying, well, you're going to go through Kent Hovind, this mastermind, scientist, whatever he is, dino man, says now you're going through the tribulation. All right, where's the judgment seat of Christ? It doesn't work. Doesn't line up. Uh, judgment seat of Christ and what some of these guys have had to do because they realize that if you make the church go through the tribulation, then you have no place for the judgment seat of Christ. So this is what they do. Uh, they say this. Uh, some of the guys that believe that you're going through the tribulation say, well, now that you're the judgment seat of Christ is uh, that you're being judged right now in the flesh for the sins that you commit. Well, that's ridiculous. That doesn't even make sense. You might as well throw Romans chapter 14, verse 10 out the window. You might as well throw 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 to 10 out. It doesn't fit. It's just pure foolishness. Let me give you this one. Another reason you know that you're not going through the tribulation, number four, is because the chronology of the book of Revelation. The chronology of the book of Revelation supports a pre-tribulation rapture. I'll show it to you. Most of you know this. The way the book of Revelation is laid out supports a pre-tribulation rapture. 
my mouth gets going so fast, I'm, I'm so far in front of that marker, it's ridiculous. I thought I'd at least get a couple of amens out of that one. All right, look at, uh, you know, you got one to three. You've got in chapters one to three, you've got the church all through one, all through two, all through three. In chapter four, guess what? Come up hither, right? You don't see the church anymore. When does the church come back? Chapter 19. When's that? Second Advent. You see that? You don't see the church. After chapter 4, it's gone. Where's it at? Rapture. So help me rapture. Up with Jesus Christ. Getting her laundry done at the judgment seat of Christ. And then uh, you've got the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And in verse 19, back down you come on white horses. And that thing is uh, 19 verse 14. There's the church coming down, and they're identified as the armies, which follow him in verse 14. That is 19, verse 14. By the way, that armies, that thing will match up with Joel chapter 2, 1 to 12 as well. Those are the armies. That's you. That's you and me. If you suffer with Jesus Christ, guess what? You're coming back with Jesus Christ on a white horse. The whole chronology of the book of Revelation supports a pre-tribulation rapture, and the fact that after chapter 4, the church is gone, and doesn't come back down until chapter 19 with the second advent of Jesus Christ. All right, let me give you another one. How you know you're not going through the tribulation? Because it's referred to as Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week. How many heard that term before? Okay, a couple of you have. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. I believe uh, you'll pick that up about verse 24. Dan chapter 9, verse 24. Dan, uh, the Lord says here, <clears throat> 70 weeks. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. All right. There it is. All right, he says, uh, he says, 70 weeks are to determined upon thy people. What is thy people? That's Israel. It's not the church. And upon thy holy city, which is what? Jerusalem, not Tower City. Sorry. Not even a second, you know, pick or third round or something. All right, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. That's Israel, not the church. Upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision of prophecy, to anoint the most holy. You see that thing? So the church is not going to be here for the tribulation. That whole thing is deterred. You know the reason for the tribulation? It's not the church. That tribulation is for Israel. Israel. And the inhabitants of the earth. That's over in Revelation. That's Daniel's 70th week. On finally, that's, that's Father. I'll give you number six. Getting ahead of myself here. Uh, you know, you're not uh, going through the tribulation. For the simple fact that a, a Christian may be uh, a Christian may suffer tribulation in the flesh, but he won't suffer the tribulation. 
you say, how does he suffer in the flesh? Well, you got some verses in there. He might suffer tribulation in the flesh. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 3, is it? And that where Paul says, uh, tribulation worketh patience. So just because you suffer tribulation doesn't mean you're going through the tribulation. It just means you're suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. And over there in Romans chapter 12, 12, you got another verse on suffering tribulation. But that's suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's not suffering during that great tribulation period. So a Christian may suffer tribulation in the flesh. He Christian may be appointed to man's wrath, but he is not appointed to the wrath of God. He's not appointed to the wrath of God in Revelation chapter 14 verse 1, or 14, what is it? Someone help me out here. It's 16.1 and 14.10, I believe. Those are the two places where the wrath of God that's dealing with the tribulation is. I think that's right. All right. 14.10 and 16.1. Thank you. All right, now there are six of them. I'll give you one more. And you know this one real well. The reason you know you're not going through the tribulation is because in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, we're looking for the Savior. That's what you and I are looking for. Amen? We're looking for the Savior. And not only that, in Titus chapter 2, verse 13... It says we're looking for that blessed hope. You say, what does that have to do with not going through the tribulation? We're not looking for the tribulation. If you're going to go through the tribulation, don't you think Paul and all his wisdom given by God would tell you how to get through it? Wouldn't he tell you, no, you know, he that hath one bunker should sell it and buy two, right? And he that hath not an AK-47 must go buy four, right? And uh, by the way, you know, you know, bullets.com is the place to get... I mean, Paul would tell you that stuff, but we're looking for the Savior. We're not looking for the tribulation. Uh, and in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we're looking for the blessed hope. Our eyes are supposed to be on Jesus Christ. And like I said this morning in Sunday school, you know we're getting close to going home by everything that's going on around you. Uh, I'm not talking about being an ostrich and putting your head in the sand. Look, I know I kick the news meat enough. You know why? Nobody kicks them. They need to be kicked. They're liars. They're the biggest terrorist outfit ever, ever donned the country. But let me tell you what, you could listen literally for, I'll give you 10, 10 minutes one week and you'd have it all. You'd have the whole week's news and for the rest of the week it'd just be on repeat. That's all it is. So you, you say, preacher said we could watch, you watch it all you want, but you're going to go crazy, man. I'm just saying if you got, had 10 minutes, you know, or Three minutes a day, man, man, you get everything that went on that day. And the rest of it would be running garbage on the reader boards there and blinking stuff up there and, you know, oh, come over here and scan this. Why? They want to keep your attention. But listen, we're looking for the Savior. And we're looking for the blessed hope. We are not looking for the tribulation to take place. And you've got to remember this whole thing that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. He's writing it to try to encourage them and comfort them and tell them, look, Despite that some of you have been beaten, despite the fact that some of you have been imprisoned, despite that your families have turned against you and you're being persecuted, we are still not in the tribulation. And that's what he's telling the Thessalonians. Now that being said, let's uh, pick it up in verse number 12. 
And uh, I want to give you some things here. Paul gives you some real practical things. Real practical. And this is very typical how Paul ends his epistles. And verses 12 all the way through 27, Paul is going to give you some real practical material. As one preacher would say, you can uh, take it and use it as shoe leather. I know about you, I like things that I can take away from here and use. Amen. If all you do is get your head bloated with a bunch of Bible knowledge you can't use out in this world, uh, what good is it? Amen. Look at verse 12. All right, first 512, he says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Now, knowing them is not just to be an acquaintance and, Hey, what's up? Oh, what's up, preacher? Hey, good to see you, man. Hey, high five, you know, coffee on Wednesday or something. But you're to know them. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, you're to consider the end of their conversation. All right? So in verse 12, he says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So Paul not only talks about knowing these individuals, but now he's going to talk about church authority and he's going to talk about the overseers. So take your Bible for a second. Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to show you this. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And he talks about the elders here. Talk about the preacher. Talk about the pastor of that local church. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. And Paul's he's going to give you some instruction how things are set up here. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. He says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of what? Double honor especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So first thing you got to notice there in verse 17 is that this elder, he's ruling well. He's not a jaybird. He's not tearing a thing up. You see it? He's ruling well. I mean, think about it. You worked at your place and you were not a good employee. You would not get double honor. You get double boot. <laughs> One from your position and the next one's out the door. So the contingency on that thing of that elder being given double honor is that he rules well. You see that? All right, now look at Hebrews chapter 13. I'll show you something else. And I'm sure you're familiar with these passages, but there has to be some structure and there has to be some order in the local church. And the pastor is to rule over the flock, but that pastor is not supposed to lord over them. Amen. He's supposed to rule, but he's not supposed to be up in your business all the time. Look at Hebrews 13, 7. He says, Paul says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. You see that? Considering the end of their conversation. Jump down 10 verses to 17. He says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves... For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. All right, you see those couple verses? Grab 1 Peter chapter 5. I just want to give you these things, these verses that show the structure of what uh, the local church pastor, what he's supposed to be doing, and how you should treat that pastor. And they're just here to help you understand how the Lord sets the things up. And you want to be careful that you don't go contrary to the book on this thing. Now look, here's the thing. I understand Southern Baptists, they're run by deacon boards. There's not a Southern Baptist church that the pastor is over the church as God intended it. And now most of your independent Baptists are now run by a bunch of deacon boards. And then you have the opposite side of the coin. You have the Bible believers 
which I'm critical of our own, we tend to be more popish than anything else. So there has to be a balance. Because you don't want papacy, and you don't want the thing run by a cotton-picking deacon board. Because that's not how God set it up. Someone give me an amen somewhere. Thank you. I mean, this isn't hard stuff. This is Bible. I just read you four verses on how that thing's supposed to roll. And the independent Baptists are jumping right in line with the Southern Baptists, and they're letting all the deacons who are the businessmen in the community, who are muckety-mucks and important, and who run the show, they tell the pastor what to do, and then you got the Bible believers, and they're more popes than anything else. So there's got to be a balance in that thing. And I'm telling you that because it's not an easy road, brother. And uh, but look, that that difficult balance is hard to find. Look at First Peter five two. Now I don't run from this stuff. I'm not afraid of it. And you might be afraid of it, but that's not my experience. I don't run from the truth. First Peter five two. Bible says, "Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint." You see, that's an interesting word. Like someone's got their hand around someone's neck, you know, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. All right? So, not only is the pastor supposed to take the oversight, but he's not supposed to take the oversight for a paycheck. This isn't a career move. This isn't, oh, look, I get to advance. I'm, I am the senior pastor of Bible Believers Baptist Church of Tower City, a.k.a. the only pastor. <laughs> But you take the oversight not for money, not for filthy lucre, not because you have to. Well, you know, no one else is going to do it. You do it because willingly you want to. All right. And then when you take the oversight, you don't strangle them. You see that? You don't lord over them. But if you're going to lead them, then you've got to do it by example. That's the hardest thing to do is lead by example, isn't it? What will the teacher say? E-X-A-M-P-L-E. Rah, rah, rah. Hardest thing is to get people to follow you when you're showing them how to live. You know what a, a dictator does? He's cracking the whip all the time telling you how to do it, right? Get after it, get after it, get after it. As someone who leads by example, that's what the book says. You get out there and live it whether anyone does it or not. And uh, Acts chapter 20, look at that real quick. That says very much the same thing. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This whole thing about being a pastor and being an overseer, being an elder, those terms are synonymous there. That whole thing, you take the reins of that thing because God told you and because you want to, and when you take the reins, you don't whip the horse to death. Amen. You, it's like Elisha. Remember, Elisha had 12 yoke of oxen when Elijah found him, and he was with the 12th, the Bible says. It's almost like he was in the yoke with that ox. And I don't know about you, but if you ever plow with a yoke of oxen, I doubt that's very good scenery. You're looking at the hind end of 11 oxen. That's the ministry. You're stepping in stuff you don't want to, and you're trying to lead from the rear. And there's all kinds of weird smells and difficult terrains. That's the ministry. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, that's a command to what? Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the pastor's primary responsibility in ruling over the church is to feed the church. 
to feed, make sure you got something to eat. Feed the people that are there. And you know, to feed them as much as you possibly can give them. And that's what the Lord's commanded the pastor to do. And you think about that pastor's, that pastor's authority, it's in spiritual matters. And you got to delineate that thing. The pastor's authority is not in physical matters. I'm sure you've had good and bad experiences both ways. But a pastor's authority is not in physical matters where the pastor starts getting into everyone's private life and starts telling them what they should and shouldn't do and, and how they don't have all their dress right and how they don't have their hair right. And, 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 but the main purpose of that pastor is to feed the flock of God and to preach at your heart. That's my job. Think about it. If your heart is yielded to God, the outside will change on its own. I don't have to preach what change looks like. All I got to do is preach at your heart. And if your heart is yielded to God, the change will automatically take place. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. Well, don't you think, uh, don't you think Christians should have sh- certain standards? I believe I should have certain standards as a pastor. I believe my home should have certain standards as my home, as the Evans clan. <laughs> but outside of my home... That's between you and the Lord. (laughs) Love you. (laughs) So that rulership by the pastor is only in spiritual matters. It's not always about standards and telling folks what they can eat and what they can't eat and where they should go and how they should live and where they should go to school and all that other baloney that goes with a pastor that's all interested in being up in your business all the time. But the pastor should rather tell the flock of God simply, as we're going to get into in a little bit, to abstain from all appearance of evil and let it go don't you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you do I have to list every sin out so that you feel convicted by it (laughs) or can I just tell you to abstain from all appearance of evil and you get the picture and the same Holy Spirit that's inside of me he's inside of you going yeah what that preacher said and you know exactly what he's talking about he don't even have to mention it because I got my spotlight on it right now and, uh, and then the preacher ought to leave most of that stuff alone. And I hate to say it, but a lot of preachers are really good at lording over the flock, and they got no business doing that. It's a hard balance to find. I'll say it one more time. Eight years behind one pulpit, it's a hard balance to find. And the preacher's got to feed the sheep. He's got to feed the flock. And if you feed the flock, they're less likely to get sick. They're less likely to get disease. They're less likely to get attacked by wolves. And if you keep that uh, sheep fat and happy, he knows where to come to eat. He knows when it's time to eat. And he knows that there's enough food to eat. And uh, listen, when people come to me for advice, I'll give you what the Bible says. But I'm very careful not to get into your personal matter. A handful of personal matters that I've had to be a part of uh, uh, in this church with marriages. The marriages blew all the cotton pick and smithereens. And then what happens is uh, he and her, they end up uh, using you as a sledgehammer to each other's advantage. Well, he said that you, well, he said that you, I didn't say that at all. You see what I mean? Now, that's the dregs of the ministry. And thank the Lord that you don't have to deal with that. But you come for biblical counsel, I'll tell you what the Bible says. But I'm not going to get up in your business on that thing. Matter of fact, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to defer you to a professional. I'm not trained in that matter. But you're married. Yeah, by the grace of God. (laughs) Today only. (laughs) 
All right, back to First Thessalonians. We're almost done here. Someone called me one time and said, do you do marriage counseling? And I'm like, I need marriage counseling. <laughs> I said, no, I don't do marriage. I do my marriage counseling on Sunday morning and Sunday night. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5.13, the Bible says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. I will get to that verse in just a second, but stop and think about the thing that a pastor, if he's not careful, and I'm preaching in the third person today, but if a pastor is not careful, he'll think that he has the answer to everything, and he doesn't. I'm not your legal counselor. I'm not, I know nothing about medicine. You want to know something about medicine and the nurse? Talk to the wife. Don't ask me. You know, I'll make her put the Band-Aid on. I don't have the answer to everything. I don't, know how to, I don't know how you should invest. I don't know what kind of car you should buy. Hopefully one that's on sale and doesn't come with a payment. <laughs> you see what I mean? I don't know where you should live. I don't know what the market's like. I'm your pastor. I preach to you. I'll preach at your heart. I don't have the answers that you say, well, you're just you're being humble. No, I'm being real. Get to know me a little bit better. You know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> Look at verse 13. And esteem them very highly. Talk about those who labor in the work. In love for their work's sake and be... At peace among yourself. We'll grab this verse and be done here. It says, for their work's sake. You see that? Notice it doesn't say esteem them highly for their personality. <laughs> for the work's sake. i got to get that thing straight. Notice it doesn't say for their looks. Or the way they talk. Or because they have nice manners. I've met some preachers that are rude jerks. But I'll tell you what. I sure did love them. I did. I do. Most times. But it doesn't say for anything, it doesn't say for their character, it doesn't say for their speech, it doesn't say for their attitude. And here's the thing, Christian, you've been taught by this world that smooth talking means somebody loves you. Ah, the older I get, I'd rather just someone come right out and tell me my nose is big and I stink and I don't love Jesus than to sit there and wax elephants and tell me I'm all this, that, and a bucket of chicken when I ain't. I know who I am. Amen. And people think because some preacher's nice and he's teaching and preaching and he has a very smooth talk and he knows how to inflect his voice and he has the right illustration. He knows how to pull him out of the bag at the right time and, and bring that thing to a, a, you know, a, a gradual crescendo. And Isn't God so wonderful? <laughs> but you're not to esteem somebody by the way they talk to you. Not... By God's grace, I don't think I could ever be that kind of preacher. I don't think I could live with myself. But there's people that do it. They're professional speakers. I'm not a speaker. I'm a preacher. You're supposed to esteem that pastor for their work's sake. And look at the end of that thing. We are done here. So to esteem them very highly love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourself. Notice that peace is the result of following what Paul says there. If you're esteeming the preacher highly in love for his work's sake, then you'll be at peace among yourself. And uh, knowing them which labor among you and are over you. And we'll stop there and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. All right, good verse to stop on tonight. You guys look tired.